Welcome to Music History Monday for November 9th, 2020. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is You Will Write Your Concerto. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the first complete performance of Sergei Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto No. 2 on November 9th, 1901, 119 years ago today in Moscow. Rachmaninoff, 1873-1943, was the piano soloist. The performance was conducted by his cousin, the pianist, conductor, and composer Alexander Solotti, 1863-1945. Before moving on to Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto and the compelling story behind it, we've an utterly irresistible anniversary to note. It was on this day, in 1974, 46 years ago today, that the unthinkable occurred on stage at the New York City Opera. And no, I'm not talking about copulating dogs during the Act One party scene of Rigoletto. The opera being performed was Giuseppe Verdi's Un Ballo in Maschera, The Masked Ball, of 1859. In the starring role of Riccardo, was the Italian-American tenor Michele Molese. Molese was a mainstay of the New York City Opera, and over the years he appeared there in almost every leading tenor role in the standard repertoire. He was known particularly as being among Beverly Sills' favorite leading men, and together they appeared in new productions of, among other operas, Manon by Jules Massenet, 1884, Faust, Charles Gounod, 1859, and Lucia de Lammermoor, Gaetano Donizetti, 1835. On November 1st, 1974, the chief music critic for the New York Times, Harold Schoenberg, attended a performance of Un Ballo. Schoenberg's subsequent review mentioned Molese's pinched high C referring to what he considered the strained quality of Molese's climactic C, an octave above middle C. Now, no one likes to be criticized, least not tenors, and least not their high Cs, which are truly the pride of their musical manhood. Criticize a tenor's ancestry, his mother, his sister's virginity, whatever, but do not mess with his high C, capiche? So it was that eight days later, during a repeat performance of Unballo on November 9th, after having nailed that high C like Simone Biles landing after a vault, Michele Molese turned to the cheering audience, stepped out of character, and announced that, quote, the last high C has been dedicated to Harold C. Schoenberg, unquote. OMG. Do we have even an inkling of how many singers and musicians have wanted to say and do something just like that? Molese brought the house down 
Unfortunately, the next day, the house fell on Molese, and he was summarily fired for unprofessional conduct. The company's general manager, Julius Rudell, informed the press that he did not anticipate Molese would ever sing for the New York City Opera again. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Molese was simply too popular and too indispensable to the company to be gone for long, so return he did many times. His final performance with the City Opera took place six years later, in 1980, when he played Mario Cavradosi in Tosca by Puccini, 1900. Rachmaninoff, Piano Concerto No. 2. The premier performance of Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto on this day in 1901 saw the 28-year-old Rachmaninoff's career as a composer reborn, a career that Rachmaninoff himself believed had come to an inglorious end four years earlier in 1897. Here's what happened. Sergei Vasilyevich Rachmaninoff was one of the greatest pianists and composers for the piano to have yet lived. Since tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post will explore his early life and his pianism in some detail, let the following suffice for now. He was born on his family's estate at Oneg, near Novgorod, about 100 miles south of St. Petersburg, on April 1st, 1873. A stunning musical prodigy, Rachmaninoff had a phenomenal memory and the ability to sight-read and apparently instantly memorize most any music. He came into his own in 1885 when, at the age of 12, he was sent to Moscow to study at the Moscow Conservatory. His piano teacher at the conservatory was his cousin, Alexander Solotti, the same Solotti who would later conduct the premiere of Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto No. 2. Rachmaninoff cut a wide swath at the Moscow Conservatory. His classmate, Alexander Goldenweiser, remembered, quote, Whatever composition was ever mentioned, piano, orchestra, operatic, or other, by a classical or contemporary composer, if Rachmaninoff had at any time heard it, he played it as if it were a work he had studied thoroughly, unquote. Rachmaninoff impressed everyone he met in Moscow, including Peter Tchaikovsky, 1840-1893, who Rachmaninoff claimed was his single greatest influence as a composer. When Rachmaninoff graduated from the conservatory in 1892 at the age of 19, he became only the third person to receive the Great Gold Medal upon graduation. Rachmaninoff was a big man, six foot six inches tall, with a set of paws the likes of which all pianists fantasize about, unusually large, with exceptionally long thumbs. Had he not succeeded as a pianist, Rachmaninoff could have looked forward to a career as an Olympic-class hitchhiker. Among the works Rachmaninoff composed during his last year at the conservatory was a piano concerto in F-sharp minor. It's a concerto contained on tomorrow's prescribed recording, one that gives us an idea of Rachmaninoff's stunning precocity as a composer and helps us to understand why he so dazzled his classmates and teachers at the Moscow Conservatory.
He continued to dazzle everyone for the next five years. And then it happened. In January of 1895, the not-quite-22-year-old Rachmaninoff began work on his Symphony No. 1 in D minor, completing it eight months later in September. Please, some perspective. Then as now, a symphony is the most prestigious and important genre of orchestral music. When a composer calls a composition a symphony, that composer is knowingly putting his or her work side by side with a most profound body of music. Much more than a first piano concerto, a first symphony is a coming out work, a demand to be taken seriously by the musical community. As such, a first symphony represents a risk, a risk almost inevitably borne by a relatively young composer. It is, after all, a first symphony. Rachmaninoff's Symphony No. 1 in D minor, he would eventually compose three symphonies, received its premiere on March 27, 1897. It was conducted by Alexander Glazunov, 1865 to 1936, who would go on to serve as the director of the St. Petersburg slash Petrograd slash Leningrad Conservatory from 1905 to 1928. Glazunov was a superb pianist and composer, a famous teacher, and by every account, a really great guy. But he was also among the worst conductors ever to hoist a baton, and the premiere of Rachmaninoff's first symphony was a disaster. In later years, Rachmaninoff's wife claimed that Glazunov was completely drunk that evening, a genuine possibility given Glazunov's storied propensity for vodka. Poor Rachmaninoff spent the bulk of that premiere performance hiding in a stairwell behind the stage, hands pressed against his ears, trying to shut out the sound of his butchered symphony. The audience that night didn't have the luxury of hiding in a stairwell. They had to sit through the entire performance. And as is almost always the case with a premiere, that audience had to decide whether the disaster they heard was the composer's fault or the performer's fault. And since this was a first symphony, and since Glazunov was such a highly respected musician, it was decided that the ruin they heard was Rachmaninoff's fault. In his review, Cesar Cui wrote, quote, If there were a conservatory in hell, if one of its gifted students were given the assignment of writing a program symphony on the seven plagues of Egypt, if he were to write a symphony just like Mr. Rachmaninoff's, he would have carried out his task brilliantly and given acute delight to the inhabitants of hell." Unquote. Nice. Rachmaninoff was more than just devastated. After a lifetime of uninterrupted musical success, he was entirely unprepared to deal with such a degree of failure. Having thus had his spiritual, emotional, and professional rug pulled entirely out from under him, Rachmaninoff became clinically depressed and completely incapable of composing. Michael Steinberg tells us, quote, 
Family and friends suggested one remedy after another. Probably the worst proposal was that he visit Tolstoy. Rachmaninoff went twice to call on that rude and egotistical kvetch, once by himself and once with the famed operatic basso Fyodor Chelyapin. After Chelyapin and Rachmaninoff had performed one of Rachmaninoff's songs for him, Tolstoy offered, Tell me, do you really think anybody needs such music? I must tell you how much I dislike it. Beethoven is nonsense. Pushkin as well. Unquote. Not helpful. For three years, three years, Rachmaninoff composed nothing. Finally, at wit's end, he called on Dr. Nikolai Dahl, an internist and a famed hypnotist. He began daily visits to Dr. Dahl in January of 1900. The short-term goal was to improve his appetite and ability to sleep. The long-term goal? To enable him to fulfill a commitment made back in 1898 to compose a second piano concerto. We cut to the chase. Rachmaninoff's finished piano concerto number two bears this dedicatory inscription, quote, A Monsieur N. Dahl, unquote, to Mr., or properly, Dr. Nikolai Dahl. Yes, bless him, Dr. Dahl fixed Rachmaninoff. Over and over again, Dr. Dahl had repeated to his hypnotized patient, you will begin to write your concerto. You will work with great facility. The concerto will be of excellent quality. Let's hear it for the power of suggestion. Almost immediately, Rachmaninoff began to put on weight and feel better, and within a few weeks he was composing exactly as the good doctor suggested he would, with great facility. In May of 1901, Rachmaninoff completed his second piano concerto, and his epic case of writer's block was history. Tomorrow, when we return in Dr. Bob Prescribes, Rachmaninoff's early life, his pianism, and the single indispensable recording of his complete works for piano and orchestra. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com. Thank you.